How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KHON2.com. I'm Rob DeMello. Joining me, Spectrum Sports Analyst, former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano. And coach, what a difference a week can make. Seven days ago, we were here, the sky was falling. UH out of the West Division race, realistically, but not mathematically after a loss to Fresno State. But boom. A big victory over San Jose State this past Saturday, 42-40, to winning the Dick Tomey Legacy Trophy with Shevin Cordero making his first start at quarterback. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about in regards to Shevin Cordero. We have a lot to talk about in regards to the West Division title race mm -hmm. in the Mountain West Conference and going ahead from here. But first things first, knee-jerk reaction to the University of Hawaii's win on Saturday. How big was that for this team? It was huge, and then when we talk mathematics in terms of them being still in conference play, that makes it even bigger. And when you talk about Chevin Cadero's play, the offensive play, the ability to not turn the football over, the ability to score on drives, it looked like a version of pylon, seven on seven, and it was Chevin Cadero, what I talk about, when you talk about anticipatory vision, he's anticipating what the defense is playing, Rob. And then the accelerated vision. He understands that if it's a three-man rush, a four-man rush, what kind of time he's going to have to look backside. He'll go through his whole progression, look backside in the accuracy. And when you talk about football, sometimes the term skinny comes into play when you want to try to get skinny. I'm using that as an offensive term because he's like Lamar Jackson. He is like Kyler Murray. He is so hard to tackle. He gives defensive coordinators nightmares. He extends plays, and he just played outstanding. Absolutely. 23 of 31, 309 yards passing, three touchdowns. He also rushed for 56 yards and had two scores there. So five total touchdowns for Chevin Cordero in his first start of the 2019 season. Head coach Nick Rolovich says that he only made the decision on Friday night. Mm -hmm. Chevin Cordero only found out on Friday night. The team pretty much found out on Saturday that Chevin would be starting in place of Cole McDonald, who threw for 25 touchdowns this season, almost 3,000 yards passing. Can you identify as far as what makes Chevin Cordero as special as he is? What made him special on Saturday and what has made him special? It, it seems like now has Chevin done everything he's ever done perfect? No, but it really seems like it, right? Yeah, I mean, this was as close to perfect as you can get. You know, when you talk about a quarterback rating, and who knows what the metrics are for that, but it was off the charts. You know, he had the one fumble. He had the one overthrow to JoJo Ward, but he had two beautiful balls in terms of taking the top off the defense. And they, even the overthrow was a catchable ball. And anybody that can outthrow JoJo Ward's speed really has arm strength. But I think, again, when it goes back to that guy knows, they're coming with three. I'm going to have six, seven, eight seconds on this play so I can go through my all my reads I can come backside and if that happens not to be open which normally it is I can run move the change and continue to play football and live to play another down he has an uncanny ability to uh, extend plays like Cole McDonald's a great runner. He's a great athlete. But this guy has the twitch. He has the quickness. He has the anticipation. And he has the accuracy. And I remember watching him at San Jose State last year. It was about a 30-minute warm-up. And he put every ball on the chin of the wide receiver. And I came away from that workout pregame, which he didn't even play in, going like, this kid's future is bright because of his accuracy. It's interesting. In the post-game press conference, mm -hmm. head coach Nick Rolovich uh, avoided 
handing the keys over to Chevin yeah. Cordero. He still maintains that he has two starting quarterbacks mm -hmm. here down this stretch for the University of Hawaii football team. He calls it first world quarterback problems, which I think is the perfect uh, analogy for what's mm -hmm. going on right here. He says that if he has to decide on a week-to-week -week basis and, and, and be left with that terror and his hair turning gray in order to make <laughs> that decision every week, then he is fine by it because it gives this team the best chance to win. Now, with all that being said, his quote is, the toughest decision I ever had to make in my head coaching career was starting Chevin Cordero over Cole McDonald. I have to imagine that it's got to be an even tougher decision to do anything but start Chevin Cordero here against UNLV on Saturday, right? Well said, and I can see that being the toughest decision because you're talking about sitting a guy who's done incredible things for your phase two development of this football program, who's nationally recognized, who's talked about in the next level as an NFL player, who has tattoos on his forearm of the Hawaiian Islands. I mean, he's almost was a reemergence of a uh, Colt Brennan. I mean, the guy literally has done everything correct. But I think Nick realized that he has somebody sitting on the bench that maybe will stay with the progressions a little bit longer, maybe can extend the play a little bit longer, and is deserving of seeing what he can do as a starter. So tough decision, uh, one that not many people would have agreed with Nick Rolovich. I don't think there's a 131 other coaches in the FBS that would have made this decision, but in the end, Chevron balled out. Cole is an incredible player, and we'll see how this plays out, but if this is a weekly decision, no matter who starts, the defensive coordinator for the opposing team has nightmares because both of these guys are great players. And let's be real with this, is that Chevin Cordero has a huge following, and a yes. lot of it has to do with because he was the, the St. Louis quarterback. He followed Tua Tonga Vailoa, and I think there's a lot of uh, subliminal memories or things that aren't really talked about it. You have to remember how much people fell in love with Chevin because there was supposed to be a drop-off at St. Louis. Mm -hmm. When Tua Tonga Vailoa, arguably the best high school quarterback in state history, left for Alabama, everyone assumed that, okay, well, St. Louis is still St. Louis, but they're not going to be that St. Louis that Tua had just led. And at the end of the day, Chevin had a better statistical senior season than Tua had. They went undefeated, something that Tua never did. They won the state championship. They beat Kahuku, right? All these things that Chevin did and then decided to go to the University mm -hmm. of Hawaii instantly became probably the most well-known, recognizable, and loved yes. player on that Hawaii roster before he ever took a snap. So there's a lot of love behind number 12. And I think it's a interesting dynamic because I, I truly think that if, if Chevin Cordero wasn't on this mm -hmm. team and if, if he wasn't on the sideline then no one would be asking to see anyone but Cole McDonald at yeah. quarterback because th there's a realistic shot that Cole McDonald was on his way to winning Mountain West Conference Offensive Player yes. of the Year honors and then here he is we're not sure if he'll he'll start another game at the University of Hawaii uh, unless uh, Nick Rolovich sees something in practice, like he says, and, and makes a change. So, I mean, how interesting is this dynamic? I mean, have you ever seen anything like this where you have someone with the amount of success as Cole McDonald, and yet there is someone in front of him that uh, appears to be taking the keys moving forward, 
and has the uncanny support of a program and fan base behind him. Yeah, first of all, and you talked about a lot of dynamics, but I think Shevin has been the best recruit locally since Kennedy Tuli Masiali'i. Mm -hmm. And by being the Gatorade Player of the Year, by doing what Tua kind of did, he has, besides being a righty and a lefty, when you look at Tua's speed and the ability to make people miss in high school, when you look at Tua, the way the ball spins out of his hand, it spins out of the same way out of Shevin's hand as just a right-handed thrower. When you look at all those things, you knew this guy was a star. It's almost like you know Jaden Delore is a star, and finally Ohio State and uh, Washington State and USC have recognized that late in the recruiting process. When you are in this system, when you're so well-trained, when you have that much confidence, that much swagger, and although Shevin appears to be humble, he knows that he can go in and throw for 400 yards. He knows he can run for 150. He knows he can put up big numbers. And so it is an interesting dynamic, but the biggest dynamic is what you were talking about is the drop-off if there is a drop-off, you have two great quarterbacks, usually in the National Football League and in any major college, you know the drop-off drop -off is significant. There's no significant drop-off. You see it every day in practice. We talked about last year coming into the 2018 season, Chevin Codera won that job in training camp. It's just they went with the older player just because he was a true freshman, and it never materialized. But I think Craig Stutzman, Nick Rolovich, Brian Smith, Andre Allen, every coach on the staff recognized that we have two guys that can win for us. Yeah, absolutely. And this offense clicking on all cylinders in regards to having a balance of yes. the run and the shoot, right? I yes. mean, that's what, at the end of the day, that is the picture, that is the masterpiece that you want, is that you're running the football effectively, which creates the passing game and vice versa and over the last three weeks over 200 yards rushing in all three games which is something that had never been done in the run and shoot era they're averaging more rushing yards per game than any team in the run and shoot era for the university of hawaii miles reed with another big outing 17 carries 125 yards and a touchdown i mentioned chevin cordero being able to use his legs within this offense how impressed are you with this uh running game and as the weeks go on yes they did not win all three of those games. They went two and one. They lost by three points to Fresno State. But I have to imagine that as a, a former mm -hmm. coach and a, de a defensive coach, I may add, that is watching the offense, mm -hmm. you see that if they're running the football, their chances of winning football games increase astronomically. Yeah, and I think Mark Weber's done a great job, and I think I mentioned the offensive line in this last broadcast, maybe more so than I've done in the last three or four years broadcasting this game, because initially in the first half, they were struggling running the ball, but the protection was uh, phenomenal, and Shevin was going through his whole progressions, he was moving around, he was continuing to keep his eyes downfield, and then the second half came, and there you saw the holes, you see even Freddie Holly, and I've been saying this for the last three weeks, as good as Shevin has been last week, as good as Cole was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, the guy that's the MVP to me is Miles Bam Bam Reed. I mean, he's doing everything right. And when he gets over the century mark, which he got, and you would have thought he had the last couple of games as well. He was somewhere around 80, 90 yards per game prior to this game. But he is a guy that's really doing a phenomenal job for this football team. And that, you're right, when they can run like that, it's a matter of an, a quarterback going up to the line of scrimmage and going like, wait a minute, they're in a too high safety look. And we're already anticipating that with the play coming 
coming in from uh, Brian Smith. We're going to run the football. The box is too light. There's no way that they can stop our run. Okay, now they're going to go man coverage because we're running the ball so effectively. There's no way with a one high safety that they can play JoJo Ward. They can play Cedric Bird. They can play Jason Matthew Sarge. They can play Jared Smart. So it's, it's that simple in terms of they know they have the right play called for the defense that's aligned, and they're winning the battle of the chalk. And it's kind of an anticipation thing because Nick Rolovich knows that on third and long, this is what the defense is going to be and what he tells Chevin Cotero. They're going to play too high. Look for the corner to roll up. All you're going to do is high-low that one cornerback. If not, come backside. I mean, the, the communication that Craig Stutzman has, you see him over there drawing the stuff up on the sidelines. You see Nick Rolovich talking to Chevin uh, in between snaps and whatever. It reminds me of the June Jones days that this has become a game of seven-on-seven, seven, a game of pylon football for this offense. Yeah, and when you talk about the rushing game, Miles Reed's seven yards per carry. Chevin Cordero, five yards per carry. Fred Holly, nine yards per carry. It's really becoming a system where defenses are, it's pick your poison because if they, if they load the box, they know that there is a capable quarterback in Chevin Cordero or Cole McDonald that can go over the top. If they play on their heels and they're afraid of JoJo Ward burning them yeah. on the outside uh, for a 70-yard gain or a 70-yard touchdown, then there's Miles Reed picking yes. up seven yards on a carry and putting yourselves in, in favorable position to, to get another first down. It, it's very impressive. And the play calling, which head coach Nick Rolovich revealed was all on Brian Smith this Good past job. weekend. What did you think of the selection of the plays and really the creativity um, of what he was able to do for Chevin Cordero? Because if you remember, in Chevin's only other previous start against Wyoming, very basic, very vanilla. Although that was a year ago, I mean, a whole nother year into the system, you'd imagine that you could open the playbook a little bit more, but they really gave Chevin Cordero a chance to show what he can do in this offense. Yeah, and, and it's a staff that likes one another. And you talk about Brian Smith, and, you know, he obviously understands protection, and he's been in that offensive coordinator role now for a few years, and he's best friends with Nick Rolovich, and I think they communicate well. And I think it was a great decision by Nick Rolovich to turn that over to him. And then when you have a guy like Craig Stutzman, who is turning into, you know, that quarterback Hui that he has, even Justin Owui Nui is a good quarterback as well. The system allows these guys to get better and better because of the amount of reps they get at practice. But I agree with you. I think Brian Smith uh, did a phenomenal job. There was some trickeration. There was some, again, it's not your grandfather's run and shoot. And I think that they understand how important the running game is. And they stayed with that running game. At halftime, if you look at statistics and running, they were averaging less than four yards a carry running the football. After the second half, they averaged almost nine yards of carry when you can run the ball whether that's first down or second down and you get that type of positive yardage it's easy to call plays on second and short it's hard when you're playing behind the chain so I think that Brian Smith did a phenomenal job and maybe that will continue moving forward but the great thing about this staff is all three of those guys are so invested in this offense whether it's RPOs whether it's zone read options whether it's the run and shoot schemes that I promise you I've talked to defensive coordinators throughout the country there's nobody on defense looking forward to playing these guys. Okay, be honest with me. When, when we talk about the, the quarterback situation and, and who's starting and, and this guy's having a great camp and this guy, although he was your former player at Kaiser, you're terrified if Justin Wahinui is ever the starting quarterback for this football team, aren't you? Because I see every time you're about to say his name, you take a big, deep breath. And well, I just don't want to pronounce it. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, and he'll be like Cher, Madonna. Yeah. Just one name, right? Just Justin. <laughs> yeah, just, just Justin moving forward. I, I got the same, you know, when Shane Victorino played for the Phillies, I, I can't say Philadelphia 
without saying it's super slow. Wow. Because if good. I say it fast, then it comes out Philadelphia. And I don't know what it is. You know, my boy Sam Spangler teases me about it all the time. Whenever the, the Eagles or the Phillies are good, he'll come no in and be like... No wonder he never pumped me up when I play for the Eagles. Yeah, exactly. No, this is a former Jet and Falcon, right? I'm, I don't you talk... You forgot that whole exactly. era no, of the sorry, Philadelphia Kamu, Eagles. Kamu Grugier Hill, sorry about it, bro. You're, you're an Eagle. I'll never say what city you play in because then That's it comes hilarious. out Philadelphia. And I don't know what's going on with that. But... Um, going back to the University of Hawaii football team, obviously uh, something special happened this past weekend with the Rainbow Warriors beating San Jose State. And, and by the way, before we move on past San Jose State, a very good Spartans team I that I think, so. I, you know, I liken them to the 2005 UH football team, just full of youth, full of athletes. And you could see that they believe in their head coach. They believe in what is being mm -hmm. built there. Mm -hmm. And I you know, on one breath, I'd say I look forward to seeing what the future holds for mm -hmm. that program just because it, it's one of those programs that you want to see succeed yes. because you've seen them on the other end of things for so many years, whether it be in the Western Athletic Conference or Mountain West Conference. But at the same time, I'm terrified to see how good they yeah. could be because there's some athletes on that team. And really, they did nothing wrong no. to lose that game. It was just the University of Hawaii had Shevin Cordero who refused to lose and they made the plays when they needed to. San Jose State just ran out of possessions. They yeah, scored on exactly. every possession and Kevin McGiven, their offensive coordinator along with Brent Brennan, they do a phenomenal job. They took Josh Love from a walk-on to a guy that's going to get drafted in the National Football League and you talked about the plethora of receivers. Ten receivers that had touchdowns, ten receivers in one game that had a catch. Mm -hmm. I mean, they spread the football around and um, that's a good football program and, and you got to, you know, again it's Dick Tomey looking down yeah. upon Brent, Brent Brennan, he was on the search committee. He was mm -hmm. actually the head of the search committee who picked Brent Brennan, yeah. and, and Brent Brennan's a heck of a coach. He also helped Nick Rolovich get this job, so when he looks down upon two of our, his three programs, he's going like, wow, whether it's phase two or phase one and a half, they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, but obviously, you know where the allegiance of Dick Tomey lies, because Khalil Tate stopped at the one-yard line by Pumba Williams <laughs> to beat Arizona. Yeah. San Jose State runs out of possessions with Chevin Cordero being the hero in this game. You know that the coach told me gave a little nudge to the University of Hawaii football team. Coach Tomey had a special yeah. affinity for walk-ons, for Polynesian players, for recruiting Samoa, and the love and the aloha for this state was something that always will be in his heart, and we're blessed to be part of that. Absolutely, and before I got sidetracked, what I was getting at was that with the University of Hawaii's win, uh, they moved to 3-3 three and three in the Mountain West Conference in the West Division, but what also happened is nobody saw this coming. 24th ranked at the time, San Diego State, upset by Nevada. And what that creates is a chance for the University of Hawaii to once again sneak in and claim the West Division. Now, this is what needs to happen. And so everyone listening, Friday is an important day for you, okay? Because San Diego State will play Fresno State on ESPN2. If San Diego State wins that game, which they should, they will be favored to win that game, and the University of Hawaii can take care of business on Saturday and beat UNLV, then you need to worry about nothing else. No other scenario messes it up. If those two things happen, then the following Saturday at Aloha Stadium, it's the University of Hawaii versus San Diego State for the West Division title. Do you get a sense, you know, you talk about any championship team and whether it's the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, whatever it is, they say, man, this is a team of destiny. Like, you know, just things, work out for this team. When you look at the position that the University of Hawaii football team is in, two weeks after everyone assumed mm -hmm. that, well, San Diego State's not gonna lose to Nevada, so Hawaii's out of this title race, they find themselves back in it potentially. Do you get a sense that, that, that there's just something special about this team, that the stars are aligned um, 
for for this football team to be remembered down the road? I, I really do. And, and you know, Nick Rolovich talked about this as maybe our focus was too much on the big picture mm -hmm. instead of week to week in terms of preparation, in terms of process. And I, when you look at San Diego State, and again, they've got to go up to Las Vegas and, and beat a team that's been tough, uh, tough sledding yeah, yeah. in terms of in Las Vegas. But say they do take care of business. I've been telling my son, who works for San Diego State all season long, and they were 7-1, and 24th ranked team in the nation. They lose to, to Nevada. Think about this. Hawaii yeah. dominated Nevada. It wasn't even close. It was their best game by far in terms of offense, defense, and special teams. So when you look at that, the inability for San Diego State to put points on the board. Now, they have good defense. They have good special teams. They know how to win football games, and this has been happening now for a decade under Rocky Long. But check this out. Hawaii, I say, I say in the broadcast, and one of my key points was uh, keys to the game this past week is San Jose State's going to have to score at least 30 points because there's no one in the country right now in this conference that's going to hold Hawaii under 30 points. The offense is a fine gelled machine with, with incredible weapons and a great scheme. So the inability for San Diego State to be explosive offensively, I think, works into Hawaii's favor. And I think that Hawaii could win these remaining games and hopefully be Mountain West Conference champion. Now, you talk about uh, San Diego State losing the Nevada. Nevada, Hawaii dominating Nevada. There's this thing in mixed martial arts you call it MMA math. And it's like, well, if this guy beats yeah, yeah. this guy, then I he should that. beat this guy because this guy beat that guy. I mean, there's pretty much, there's MWC math yeah. and you could throw it all out the window because oh. week in, week out, the Mountain West Conference, it's a lot like the Pac-12 where a lot of people talk about the Pac-12 would never win the national title because they just keep beating each other. Right. And it's because, you know, this team that looks to be the best just is a bad matchup for this team that's on the bottom yeah. of the Pac-12. And I think the same thing goes for the Mountain West. It's yes. like Pac-12 light as far as what the Mountain West Conference is. Because I think when you look at Fresno, Nevada, Hawaii, San Diego State, even San Jose State, I mean, one team that beats one team will beat the other team. I mean, and yeah, it's a merry-go-round for sure. And um, obviously, there's going to be a lot of people out there that have questions about the UH defense because right. you gave up 40 points. You weren't able to get San Jose State to punt in this game. And, and some people listening right now may be like, how have you not talked about the defense yet? It is because there is a question in Bo's football final mailbox, and that's what we're going to go to right now. Remember, if you have any questions, you can send it to me via social media. That's on Twitter, at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, or on Instagram, at Rob DeMello. And the very first question, Rich Miano, is the defensive struggles this season, and especially over the last month, would you call it systematic? So I'm assuming yeah. that the question is, yes. are the coaches, is defensive coordinator Corey Batoon putting these players in the wrong spot, putting them in bad situations, and that is what is leading to the big plays that they're giving up? Yeah, and I'll address two systematic questions, if there is two systematic questions. One is the coaching staff. Corey Batoon, he has a lot of similar qualities to Dave Aranda, and I'm not calling him a Dave Aranda because mm -hmm. Dave Aranda is one of the greatest defensive coordinators in the nation at any level. But I, I do like what Corey does. I do like his scheme. I do like the fact that these coaches, Jacob Euro, Abraham Elamimia, Mark Banker, and Ricky Longo work so well together and believe in one another. And I think the players believe in their scheme, and that's really important. I think systematically, athletically, they have to get better. You have to find a safety that can play the center field, that the middle of the field will 
not be open on passes in these long runs, these explosive runs we talk about each and every week. You're not going to be perfect when it comes to tackling because these are great athletes in space. The game is so much more horizontal, but we have to tackle better at the third level. I think once, you know, Roe Ferris graduates this year and stuff, I still think Cortez Davis made so many plays this game. They're so on an island in the schematics of Corey Batoon in terms of run stunts and zone dogs and all the other things they do. I think the corners have played well all year long. I think at linebacker, there's a there's a, a list, a litany of injuries. When you look mm -hmm. on the sidelines every week and you see Kanai Picanso over there, God, that guy was coming into his own. You know, Jeremiah Pritchard played with a broken hand this week. How do you tackle with a broken hand with a full cast on it? They're so decimated at that one position, but they're going to have to get another defensive end because Kaimana Padello is great in terms of pressure and hurries and once in a while the occasional sack but they need more sacks they need more pressure they need another inside guy opposite of blessman to Allah. so i don't think it's a systematic problem it's a recruiting problem mostly all right and there's a chance here in this offseason to go after those yes. positions and try to bring those guys into the program I, I agree with you where I, I think that anyone that thinks that there should be a change oh, on the defensive no, side no, or the change in defensive philosophy, I think is the absolute worst thing that could happen to this program. I yes. think the continuity would be huge uh, for this program Agreed. moving forward. And that's really been the difference between UH in successful times and unsuccessful times yes. is, <coughs> excuse me, is the, the lack of continuity, sure. especially on what the philosophies are yes. on one side of the ball, whether it be offense or defense. Well, yeah. moving to the next question, this week, more so than any other week, you saw a lot of rotation without injuries on the offensive line. Yeah. You saw J.R. Hensley and Michael Elatise pretty much split series and, and just swap in and out within every series here in this game against San Jose State. Uh, this question is, what is the benefit of the, the, the rotation at the offensive line? And, and I think I will narrow it down for you and say at the left guard position. Well, the benefit is is Michael Elatisi coming out of Kaiser High School was the most recruited guy in Hawaii high school history. You're talking Michigan, mm -hmm. Michigan State, Auburn, Alabama. He chose to go to Arizona. The fact that he comes back to this program shows you that they're sending guys to the National Football League. They're winning bowl games. They're playing on national television. And it sends the message that we're getting more athletic. We're getting better offensive linemen that are actually Hawaiian or Polynesian players that are going to play for the University of Hawaii. So as good as R.J. Hensley is, you know, he's a he's a tough guy. He's a leader. He's the glue on that offensive line. You get more athletic with a Michael Elatisi. You get more explosive with a Michael Elatisi. And I think that sends a message next year because the only senior on that line is Hensley mm -hmm. that you're going to still be really good on that offensive line. You're going to have at least Shevin Cordero. You're going to have a bunch of receivers that we're not even talking about right now that are learning the run and shoot system that can take it to the house. You're going to have Miles Bam Bam Reed back and Freddie Holly, I mean, it's going to be another great year offensively because of guys like Michael Elatisi. All right, and the last question, uh, and one thing that I left out is that, you know, we we're talking about the West Division race because obviously that is the, the sexiest uh, possibility here for this University of Hawaii football team. But a win at UNLV also makes them both eligible yes. in back-to-back -back seasons for the first time since 2007, 2008, which is a huge accomplishment. And so that, that would be big against UNLV as well. Uh, the question here is, would playing for a West Division title be enough to get 25,000 in 
to Aloha Stadium. So if everything works out like we, we laid out, San Diego State's victorious, Hawaii's mm -hmm. victorious, thus creating a West Division title game that the university, that the stadium, that everyone in Hawaii can promote is a winner-take-all game for a championship do you think that we can get closer to 25,000 at Aloha Stadium? And keep in mind, we've been between 15 and 18,000 over the last three home games. Yeah, the dissipation of fans, uh, the lack of involvement, uh, especially game day at the stadium, has is, is been concerning. And I do think that if this team does go down to Vegas and takes care of business, that's obviously a good sign. There's a lot of momentum. You're playing for potentially a championship. You're bowl eligible, as you mentioned and stuff. And if we don't get 25,000, I'm hoping that the players involved in this have a roundtable discussion how to make sure that from a marketing standpoint, from a fan experience standpoint, from again, uh, you know, Nick Rolovich does a great job on social media. You know, we've got local coaches, we have local players, uh, we have a local quarterback that's phenomenal right now. I don't understand how there could be a dissipation in fans and not an increase in attendance because it's fun. It, I mean, it's exciting. You know they're going to score points and, and you know it's going to be uh, something that you should want to attend just to support the University of Hawaii Athletics and these young men. And my two cents, and what I truly think it is, I don't think that there are less University of Hawaii football fans mm -hmm. today than there were 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Because I can't go anywhere without someone asking me about yeah. the UH football team, asking me about who's starting at quarterback, asking me about what are the chances of the Bows winning this week. I mean, right. the interest is there. I just think that, you know, at, at this time, it's are people willing to spend their money? Are people willing to make the trek to Aloha Stadium? Are the people willing to put into the program? Um, and I think that we all just have to remember is you can't compare the University of Hawaii to a Boise State because of the location and because yeah. of the situation that the UH football program and especially with the June Jones era, I mean, it was a pro football feel. This program, this football program should be treated as a pro football team because at the end of the day, it, it's the team in town, right? Yeah. It's not USC where you have the Rams and the Chargers and the Lakers and all these things. I mean, you have the University of Hawaii. And so what do you see when an NFL team does not put together consecutive years of victory, you see a drop in attendance. And sure. when they start winning, you see them come. Yes. When, they, when, when they draft a, a high draft pick, they come back, right? Yeah. You have to give them yeah. interest. And, and I think UH is doing what they can. As far as the football product goes, is that you go to bowl games, you try and play for conference titles, you pick up victories, and the people will come. Because I promise you, it is not lack of interest. Mm -hmm. It is lack of capability, lack of being able to spend their hard-earned money on something that they're just not completely sure about to this point. Would you agree? Yeah, no, that's well said. And I think, you know, when you talk about there has been... Uh, the performance under certain coaches prior to Nick Rolovich, mm -hmm. uh, obviously that lost some fan base. The introduction, I think, of the premium seating licenses has lost some fan base. The actual aging of our great local fan base is is part of the process. Uh, there's been a number, a number of reasons, but when we're talking about 40, 45,000, 47,000, we're talking now about 15, 17, yes. 20, and hopefully 25. And I agree with you, they're out there and we have to you know, un continue to try to reach this fan base that it's worth the experience. It's worth the money to go support these young men. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of 
any media source, any type of, you know, and, the, and fans, you know, if you look at San Diego State, you look at San Jose State, you have to get the students out there as well. And there's certain games, there, there's been a great student population, mm -hmm. and there's other games you can't find a student. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of issues, but I really do believe in the product. Well, the product has created this. is a big game against UNLV. Again, bowl eligibility on the line for the University of Hawaii. Depending on what happens between San Diego State and Fresno State, it could mean a ticket to the West Division title game that you host at Aloha Stadium. So this, I think it's safe to say that this is the biggest University of Hawaii football game here on Saturday against UNLV that this program has had probably since 2010. So uh, you don't have to drive to the stadium for this one. You can catch it on Spectrum Sports. Kickoff is set for 11 a.m. Hawaii time on pay-per-view. We'll be back here on Monday to talk about it, and I, I can't wait to see what unfolds here this weekend because we, we could have a fun show next week talking about the possibilities. But thanks again for tuning in to Bo's Football Final. Remember, KHON2.com every Monday. You can catch us via podcast as well, via Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Just head over to our website, find us on social media, and we'll give you the directions on how to get that. For Rich Miano, I'm Rob DeMello. We'll catch you next time on Bo's Football Final. Aloha.